Say hello, I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, February 29th. Yes, it's Leap Day. This only happens once every four years, and I'm glad. I'm glad. Not a day. Not a, I'm not really thrilled about today, and I'll explain why as we go along. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers and we don't do buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about the arts, culture, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here live from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our show does stream live on our website, www.letstalknative.com. We stream live video of the show via Facebook Live on our Facebook group page, and it's shared on a bunch of other pages. We take the audio and we put it up as a podcast after the show. We take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. So you many ways you can catch the show. And look, I... I encourage you to catch the show. I, I think some of what we're going to talk about today has to be explained, even though if I do so somewhat begrudgingly. I am the show's host and producer. I am John Kane, and I am joined here in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our audio and our video. All right. Well, first, what I would have loved to have talked about today was just how awesome it is to see the level of unity and solidarity that we've demonstrated with these blockades across Canada, supporting our Wet'suwet'en brothers and sisters and, uh, and all those who are standing up to colonization and uh, invasions of, uh, of pipelines and bomb trains and all that stuff. And I will do that. <laughs> Look, I am, I've never had a moment where I've been as proud of how our people have responded to this crisis as I am right now. I mean, look, I was glad to see how many people got engaged with Standing Rock, but this is the strategy that I always hoped for, that people would do the kinds of things in their communities to show solidarity for something that was happening far away. That's the way to get this thing done. And, and look, we can, we can do that on the American side. We can do that on the Canadian side. We don't need to go to Standing Rock or, or uh, Unistoden Camp. We can do things right at home. And, and I even talked about this in New York City this week. There are banks that are the, the the financing mechanisms for these pipelines. There are, you know, there are capitalists in New York City who invest in rubber bullets and tear gas canisters and concussion grenades. You can protest people wherever you live. That would be effective and make a solid point to support a cause. You don't necessarily have to travel 3,000 miles to do it. And that's what our people have done on the Canadian side. And it's been effective. Right now, as I understand it, and, and, and again, it's, this is, again, a very fluid and dynamic situation, that there, there has been enough pressure put on Canada to say, look, we're going to try to negotiate what we, how we deal with the uh, Soweton people in this pipeline. I'm not saying that anything has been um, definitively decided upon, but I think they have held up. For at least for a couple of days, on trying to you know try to work on this pipeline, and so if they pull out, if, then the RCMP can go home. These blockades can end, and we will have put a firm foot down, and we would have demonstrated a level of solidarity that has rarely ever been seen in a country the size of Canada, and and hopefully this is a lesson that we take from 
uh, we take we take and and learn from and expand upon every time we have a conflict with the United States, Canada, or any other community, any any other nation, uh, uh, settler colonial country that that is trying to impose its will on on indigenous people. Very very proud of what what's what our people have done. And and again, as as a Mohawk is Gonyogeha, I am am proud that the, that the Mohawk people have stood up. And you know what? For all of the, the the stuff that I've talked about, you know, in the, in terms of the these federally recognized band councils and and all of that stuff that I am still oftentimes, you know, problemed by or troubled by, there's even been solidarity shown there. I mean, in in Ganawage, uh, when the, the, even the band counselors and 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 people across all segments of that that community are saying, no, we support the blockade. And and we're not going to allow you to to serve an injunction against our people. We're not going to allow you to come in here. And you can threaten us, and you can say, "Oh, look, we're we're just a bunch of uh, you know armed terrorists or whatever else." And but we're going to stand in solidarity with the people. And that's what we've seen all across. I mean, this level of unity is rarely seen, and that could not be demonstrated more clearly than by what is dem- what's playing out in Cayuga territory. So. Well, I'm going to sit here and talk about how proud I am not only to be Mohawk, to be Gunyogaha, but to be Ungwe at a time when we're standing up against the colonial powers like Canada and and their uh, extractive industries and pipeline industries. I I end up having to talk about Kyuga. But before I do, I do have to say, um, I did show the uh, the film uh, Invasion in New York. Had a, had a decent crowd come out. You know, and as I watched the film, and it's probably the third or fourth time that I've watched it. It's only about 20 minutes long. If you go on YouTube and if you look for Invasion, you might have to put, you know, Pipeline or, or Wet'suwet'en or Indigenous People or, or something like that. But if you, if, you put, if you type in Invasion, especially if you do it in all caps, I think it'll come up. It's about 18 minutes long. I encourage you to see the film. It's it's not a complete picture. It basically covers a little bit of you know some video from back as far as ten years ago about how long this resistance has been going on. But you know, as I'm watching that thing, it it showed. And in fact, I saw other videos. We showed some other video clips and stuff like that. It showed the man camps. Now, if you don't know what a man camp is, I'm going I'm to explain it one more time. A man camp is the, they bring in these modular housing units, and they and, and they you know they have to make a huge footprint for them. And they put them all in there, and that's where all of the workers stay when when they're working on these pipelines or they're doing these this mining or whatever else. So for one thing, all that bullshit associated with with all the jobs that are going to be created, you know, for for indigenous territories when they put a pipeline through, no, it's not true. In fact, the reason they build these man camps is so they can bring white men in to to work on these things. They can bring people in. They're not going to hire the locals. And and you know what? These man camps are temporary. As soon as the job's done, they pull them out of there and they go to the next place to set up. And the same crew is going to go to the next place that they're building a pipeline. So there are no long-term permanent or anything close to permanent jobs or high-paying jobs that are going to be sustainable. This is, you let them in, they build a pipeline, they make, you know, a bunch of people come in, make a bunch of money. But again, this is the part that I want to talk about with Mancast because I got my, my Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women shirt on today. Those man camps are a breeding ground for sexual violence against women. There's a direct correlation between Highway 16, the, the Highway of Tears, man camps, extractive industries, pipelines, and missing and murdered indigenous women. And there's no denying it. I mean, it, the, the correlation, it's not, it's not even just a correlation. There's causation here. 
and and there's no question about it so when anytime i see something even remotely remembering uh, uh, you know looking like a man camp all i can think about is is, is native women and you know what <laughs> you don't have to see a bunch of modular white modular trailers set up on a on a on a big landing to see a man camp you can look at canadians house of commons you can uh you can look at uh, congress the senate house of representatives they all look like man camps every military base is a man camp and they're all rife with with some level of of sexual violence against women. So, I wanted to, I wanted to mention that um, uh, again the connection between what missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and 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 men and two spirit all of that. There's a direct connection between that and and these man camps. And 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 I guess one more point to make here: the reason is because the men that move into these man camps, they may very well have ho- wives and children back home. But they leave them home. And then they get to go to these man camps where it's like the Wild West, right? Where they can just act up. I mean, you think what's, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? What happens in these man camps stays in those man camps. And, and frankly, that's why, why Native women turn up missing. So I don't want anybody to think that there isn't a connection here. So I, I want to drive that home. All right. Uh, again, I want to thank all those people who came out to... Uh, um, that came out to, to see our video. All right, we may, this may be posted as a separate video, at least on uh, Facebook. Uh, sorry, we lost our internet connection for a second there. So um, luckily I saw it and I stopped talking. So I'll, I'll continue on. Um, again, I, I uh, j- just to finish up on the whole man camp thing, uh, there is a connection there and I think it's important that people realize it. All right, now I got to get to the part that I didn't want to talk about. And look, I've done a couple of shows on Cayuga and and every time I've mentioned it, I've done so begrudgingly. Today is no exception. Today is no exception because, like I said, as as good as I can feel about what's what's been transpiring with these blockades and the solidarity, um, man, I just feel like it's a gut punch when I see what's happening in Cayuga territory. Uh, to recap, um, there's been an ongoing leadership battle. And I say leadership battle, and it, it's a battle over money, it's a battle over federal recognition, what I call Fed Rec, because this is where somebody gets, you know, wins the beauty contest, the BIA beauty contest. And with that, they get to do things that nobody else gets to do. Not only do they get funding from the federal government, which is, to me, probably the lesser of the issues, but the main thing is they get the weight of the federal government to say what they do is legal. They have the authority to be the leaders. They can. They can hire a goon squad. They can hire, uh, create a police force. They can, they can hire private security. They can do all these things that have, that are recognized as legit because they are federally recognized. They get to, to wield authority over people. And, and in a case you're wondering, federal recognition isn't about recognizing a government. It isn't recognizing a governmental system. One, one where the federal government is going to say, yeah, what was the process that you used to come up with that decision? No. What it recognizes is the individual, an individual that they give this authority. Now, it is not the kind of authority, they don't get all of the authority because the federal government still keeps them under the thumb. So they're like puppets. And that's what federal recognition is. In Cayuga, uh, they've had, just like in Oneida, there's only one person that has been federally recognized. In Oneida, it's, it's Ray Halberter. In Cayuga, it's Clint Halftown. Ironically, in both those situations... Onondaga played a role in getting both of them federally recognized. Both of them. 
They they played. They promoted Ray Halberter to get federal federally recognized, even though nine all nine titles of the United Nation were filled and condoled, all nine of them. But Onondaga still pushed through because they wanted to play this whole game. Well, that's on the Canadian side. This is on the U.S. side, or this is New York. This is your New York Oneidas. Well, they started to do the same thing with Cuba. And so, well, let me back up again with with Oneida. So in Oneida, they get Halberter recognized, and then Halberter kind of bites the hand that feeds him a little bit crosses them a little bit just enough to where Onondaga says we're going to have your recognition pulled we put you in we can take you out guess what no you couldn't you didn't so you created this this mess and then could do nothing to clean it up because even though the federal government says well we'll recognize whoever grand council recognizes once they recognize them you didn't and it's not even grand council it's Onondaga so they created Ray Halberter and then were powerless to pull him out so apparently they thought they tried again with Cayuga now they had promoted uh, Clint Halftown, um, his his mother claims to be his clan mother, and they put him up as chief, and Onondaga accepted it. I don't know what the rest of the Confederacy claims to have done, but so there Clint Halftown is, the chief of the Cayugas. And, and then he gets federally recognized, and Onondaga supports it. Then Clint Halftown crosses Onondaga. Actually starts to deal a little bit with Ray Halberter in the Oneidas. And so what does he do? <laughs> what, what does Onondaga do? He says, well, we're going to take him out. Well, that didn't work out either. So now you've got a, 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 second, a second of the Six Nations, a, a, you know, the Cayugas, in the same exact situation as the Oneidas, with Onondaga and their lawyer, Joe Heath, meddling in what is what, this federal recognition mess, first propping somebody up, then trying to pull him out and put, a bu- put up a bunch of other people. Now, of course, oh, well, we don't recognize him as a chief anymore. We have a chief's council that we're promoting. So this causes this, this big battle in, in Cuba territory. And I'm sorry, I hate talking about this, but I gotta. So that's the battle that ensued, and it was the battle for federal recognition. And guess who prevailed? Clint Halftown again. And part of it is, there's a bit of inertia that gets, that gets involved in, in all of this stuff. And part of that inertia has to do with, with, the, um, with, with the, the federal government not being able, it's actually illegal for them to create a void in, um, in tribal government. They, they can't um, pull recognition without having somebody immediately put in there. And so they're he- hesitant to do it. And so, so they haven't. So anyway, that, that's, what, that's kind of what we got here. And so Clint Halftown is federally recognized. You've got Joe Heath trying to promote a bunch of chiefs. But in the midst of all this stuff, during this battle, um, a group tried to take a store away from Clint Halftown. And the group that took that store away from Clint Halftown had their own infighting. It included some that claimed to be chiefs or our chiefs, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> it included a bunch of them, but it also uh, ha- had individuals who, who managed to become the managers and, uh, and a lot of corruption on that side of, the, on, on that, side of the, that battle. And finally, there's a group of about, I don't know, 30 or so Cayugas that are, that are running the store. Look, they're, they're trying to do programs. They're trying to, they're trying to grab onto a traditional way of life. But the, but those so-called chiefs, they want them out of there too. So you got Clint Halftown's group that wants them out. You've got Joe Heath's chiefs, they want them out. And you got a small group of people in there, you know, trying to, just trying to, uh, 
Uh, look, I know we lost our feed for a while, and so there may be some confusion. There is another feed. You're just going to have to have to bear with us. In the midst of all this stuff, Clint Halfton decides that the way he's going to deal with the, this what he calls a rogue faction running the store was to just go in and bulldoze it all. So he goes in, and this was last Saturday. So we have two Saturdays in a row that that some major disruption happens in Cayuga. So he goes in last week in the middle of the night and bulldozes the store, bulldozes the daycare center, bulldozes the schoolhouse slash longhouse, um, bulldozes a bunch of cabins and an ice cream store and a sugar shack and all that other stuff. And that's when the outrage starts because even though the schoolhouse was kind of like a longhouse, that's what everybody grabbed onto. This ends, and it gets touted as a, you know, a, a band council, which Clint isn't really a band council. He's just federally recognized as what? I'm not even sure, but he's federally recognized as a leader. And it, it pits him against what people are trying to say are the traditionals. And it's not that clean, folks. It's just not that clean. And yes, he did bulldoze his, uh, these buildings down. And it was a stupid and irresponsible thing to do. It was destructive. It was a complete waste of Cayuga resources. Um, and, and, and it was vindictive. And there's no question about it. And, and, and I'm not defending anything that Clint Halfdown has done. But it isn't just about a bad guy versus good guys. And that's the way people are trying to tout this thing. And it's not. It's, it's about a battle for money, for power, control of a store, for federal recognition, for power. That's what it's, that it's, what it's about all over. And the victims are, is a small group, and they're not even all Cayuga, but, but, but there's Cayugas that, that have been trying to just pretend that, that that battle going on between the two other powers don't involve them. And yet there they are running a, a Cayuga store. So not anymore. So there, as the week transpired, you had Joe Heath running into the, 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 um, the, I think the Seneca County Legislature basically saying this attack by Clint Halftown and his goons were, um, was directed at his factional faction of traditional believers and that kind of stuff, which isn't really even true. Joe Heath lost his battle uh, for federal recognition for his chief's group, and they weren't the ones running the store. It was, again, a smaller group. But now they've turned this into Clint Halftown bulldozes Longhouse. And so now it's turned into a, into a whole other thing. So, so I, Confederacy chiefs, who are, and I don't know exactly who, but they called for people to go to Cuga territory this morning. They said, come on out. We're going to do a press conference, and we're going to demonstrate against Clint Halftown. In the meantime, Clint Halftown, he packs his bags and, and gets on a plane and goes to Vegas to have a nice weekend to himself. He travels off to Vegas and to do, a, I don't even know what. I don't want to go there. But anyway, he ta- takes off to go to Vegas. You know, packing his suitcase full of Cayuga money, and he goes off to Vegas. So there's a call out for, for people, men, to show up in, in Cayuga territory. And of course, a bunch of angry people going there. Who the hell is the guy who bulldozed the longhouse? We're mad as hell, and we're not going to take it. And not gonna... So they go up there. And of course, what, who do they meet? Clint Halftown's white police force. Now, when I say white, it's the Cayuga Nation police. And they're all just white guys. They're all former county sheriffs, local uh, police, state police. These are the guys that, uh, that Clint Halftown hired. And they were among the ones who were helping to de- demolish the building just a week ago. They're the ones that are there. Now, there's also state police, county sheriffs, 
there, there are police forces from all over there. I mean, I was, I was getting the calls this morning. They said there's five or six different police forces there. But in somebody's infinite wisdom, all of these other more legitimate police forces, again, all white guys with guns, decide that they're not going to push the Cuban Nation police off and say, look, why don't you guys back it up? Why don't you guys stay out, you know, just stay back? Because you guys are kind of the attention here. And they sure as hell will were. All the people who showed up there to raise hell with the with the Cuban Nation, they took it all out on those on those white cops. And I'm not saying it wasn't justifiable, but you know what? Shame on anybody. So whoever the so-called chiefs were that called for people to go there, because here's the thing, they were going to have a press conference and a demonstration, and then they were going to, the chiefs claimed they were going out to Onondaga to hold a grand council on the subject. Well, why didn't you hold grand council first and then have a press conference afterwards? And why have it there? So you call all these people there, and some of them go there in full support of traditional people against the traditional haters. That's what they went there for. And of course, there's also a bunch of white people show up because Onondaga's got a got a, a white fan club out there in Syracuse called the the Neighbors of the Onondaga Nation Noon. <laughs> so they bring out a bunch of their nooners out there. <laughs> so their nooners all come out there, and these are just a bunch of white you know white hippie ish kind of guys who who just love Onondaga and Joe Heath. And, if, and then you've got the local white guys who are just pissed that their smoke shop is gone. The place for cheap cigarettes and gas is gone. So half of the people there are white that are the protesters. There's a whole lot of native people, and most of them not even Cayuga. Most of them are either Onondaga or they're Mohawks or they're Senecas, and there's Cayugas there. And on the other side, there's a very few Cayugas that are standing up for Clint and a whole lot of white cops. Just an absolute recipe for disaster. And guess what happened? They got into a fight. <laughs> they, I mean, the, the cops got pushed around. They started taking out their batons and whipping on people, knocking people down. Yes, and a few women got into it. I mean, they didn't attack women and children. And I'll get into that a little bit later in the second half of the show. But, but they, they went after people, unjust, uh, an unjustifiable level of violence. I mean, I saw videos of them whipping on people who weren't even engaged with them, just just attacking them with with their um, with their extendable um, batons, pepper spraying the crap out of people. One of the videos that uh, was posted on Facebook immediately went blurry because the guy was holding his uh, cell phone up, and of course, that's who they pepper sprayed. Now, the guy with the cell phone obviously was only video uh, uh, video recording it, but he sure as hell got pepper sprayed. Because that's what they do. So they use pepper spray, batons, um, and of course, one hand on their pistol the whole time. No, the the real pistol. I mean the gun. Um, yeah, the one hand on their pistol. All the white guys have guns, <laughs> uh, that, in uniform anyway. I mean, it's an absolute recipe for disaster. And, and I'll tell you, the two most shameful people to hold accountable are the so-called chiefs that called this. What the hell did you think was going to happen? And you had no control over anybody. Hell, I already heard a few of the guys, even with Gustoas, got knocked around. Well, you know, I'm glad they did because there's no reason that everybody else should have got knocked around when the guys who called this thing didn't get bumped around. And of course, I got to hold the state police and the county sheriffs or whoever else should have been able to assert control. Shame on you for not telling the Cayuga Nation police, your, 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 all your colleagues that are your white colleagues that are on this nation police force. You should have sent them as far back as possible. Let them stand in the rubble they created. They should not have been the ones to confront the people. 
I mean, this was an absolute recipe for disaster. What a, what a complete mess. So, like I said, I'm watching this stuff, and I'm just disgusted. And, and of course, the phones start ringing. I start talking to people all over. And you know what? Nobody, nobody can suggest to me that the violence that took place there it wasn't, these police didn't just arbitrarily decide to attack, uh, I mean, the Cuban nation police didn't arbitrarily decide to attack the protesters. No, this was a recipe for disaster. And, and, that, and, and that's the way it played out. You know, so this just keeps getting uglier each week. And like I said, I, I, I joked that this was, today was leap day, February 29th. Well, I'm glad this day isn't going to happen again for four years. But I'm afraid that what's happening in Cayuga is not over by a long shot. Look, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll take a break and we'll we'll come back. Um, sit tight. I've, I've got more i got to talk about with this because we have to understand what is a proper response and what is an emotional response and how the two are not the same. This is John Cain. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, everything going crazy here. Look, we did lose our internet feed in the beginning, um, so we'll patch that up on our YouTube video so you won't even notice it. But uh, you may have had to click on to a second video. I know my wife is sharing the video as we speak. Um, so it'll, it'll be one video on YouTube, but it'll be two videos on Facebook. Sorry about that. Uh, we just lost our internet feed. And then, of course, I'm starting to see things falling apart, I'm coming unplugged. We're all good now. We're good now. Hey, look, let me go ahead and thank my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank ERW and um, Eric White and ERW Enterprises. Uh, the folks at uh, Grand River Enterprises, and I want to thank uh, our new sponsors uh, at Cat Res. So, um, look, without you, we can't do what we do. And I got to tell you, I know, especially covering the Cuga thing, I know that a lot of people aren't happy with the way I, the way I'm characterizing this thing, but. It's the truth. And, and the reason I know this is because I've been involved in this stuff since the Oneida days, back, going back over 30 years. And what I'm seeing play out in Cayuga is just the same thing. It's a, it's a rerun of the, of the Oneida situation. And it's ugly, and Onondaga is the cause of it. And, and if not Onondaga directly, certainly the lawyer that claims to represent them, this, uh, this Joe Heath. It is, it is a debacle, and it is a, it is a shame. But I'll tell you, the biggest problem that exists with these situations isn't just this idea of a beauty contest for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. What most of us are missing in all this stuff is asking the simple question, what do the Cuga people want? Because I'm not convinced that the, that the Cuga people support chiefs or they support Clint and the Bureau of Indian Affairs federally recognized. I don't know what they, I, I don't know. I do know one thing. The Cugas are a diverse people. There's a lot of Christians in that uh, in that Cuga community, and I say community. It's not a community. Cugas have been spread out all over, uh, you know, all over Six Nations. I mean, there's a bunch that live in Cataraugus. There's a bunch that live in uh, Tonawanda. There's a bunch that live in Allegheny. Bunch that live in Six Nations in Tuscarora, in Mohawk territory, all over Onondaga, Oneida. Because they haven't had land. What the Cugas are tr- fighting over right now is land they only recently reacquired and began to develop and most of it was developed under the so-called leadership of clint halftown for better or worse and there's some worse parts to it and there i mean and there is some worse parts to it but this whole battle that has onondaga at its core 
and and so many of the people who who are weighing in are ignoring the simple question that should be asked is what do the Cuga people want? I'm like, there's only about 500 Cugas. And I don't say that to be, you know, condescending, but out of that 500, there's probably only about 300 adults. We're not talking about a a, a, a number of people that you can't just reach out and ask. Christ, you can put 300 people in one room for crying out loud. But, but we don't. So we'll hold grand councils and we'll, we'll have meetings here and we'll all sit back in, uh, in judgment, myself included. And, and I'll, I'll look, even some of my friends are saying, oh, we need to send men down there to Cuba. For what? To, to fight the white cops? The Cuba Nation white cops or the state or the, or the county? Why the hell do we want to do that? That's not going to serve any pro- purpose. And, and then to have people go so far as to say, well, we're gutless if we don't. And I got to tell you, I saw some call-outs by, pe- by people that I respect saying, we need to send men down there to stop the beating of women and children. There, are, there is no beating of women and, women and children. Now, I'm not saying some women didn't get pushed around today, but they didn't get pushed around because they got attacked. They got pushed around because our women are forceful people. They get in the, into the mix of it. And, and that's what we, <laughs> frankly, that's what we're seeing in Tainanega. That's what we're seeing in Gunawage. That's what we're, we're seeing in uh, Wet'suwet'en. This is what we see all over. Our women are not passive bystanders here. They're not innocent victims. Most of the time, our women are the warriors that are involved in some of this stuff. So let's not, I mean, let's not, not pretend that, that we've got a bunch of flowers who are being stepped on. Now, I'm not saying that our children should, shouldn't be kept out of harm's way. And they, but they should. But I'm not going to tell, tell my wife or any woman, oh, don't, you know, don't, don't get involved. Stay back. But what I will say is anybody who's calling out for a bunch of men, warriors, to show up in Cayuga to fix this, to fix what? And to do what? To fight who? And fight for who? This isn't traditionals versus non-traditionals. It just isn't that simple, folks. And I'm, and I'm saying this out of, out of a, from a place of knowledge. Now, not because I'm guessing or not because I'm ill-informed. I spoke to people all day today. I talked to people who were at the who, who were at this demonstration riot, whatever you want to call it. I thought, I spoke to people who said why it happened, how it happened, you know, who initiated the uh, you know uh, you know some of the the pushing and shoving. And of course, I saw all the videos. And if you watch those videos and you see, I mean, you see a pile of rubble that was once a, a longhouse slash schoolhouse. And I'll explain that one a little bit. But if you see a pile of rubble that once was once a, a longhouse, of course it pisses you off. And, and the fact that you've got people playing it up, saying, oh, yeah, Clint Halftown destroyed a longhouse. Well, let me explain that one a little bit. I'll do this now. So the group that, um, that has had control of the store, a small group that is neither a perfectly aligned group with the so-called chiefs that were trying to unseat uh, Clint Halftown, and they certainly aren't aligned with Clint Halftown, this group has tried to live um, a life that many of, many of us would like. Uh, you know, they, were, they built um, a daycare center for the kids. They did um, agricultural pro- uh, projects. They, they grew f- uh, fruits and vegetables. They distributed them. They, did, they tapped trees. And in fact, that's what they would have been trying to do right now, tap trees for maple sugar. They, um, uh, they, they built um, a, a, an ice cream stand so they could sell ice cream in the summertime, another source of revenue. They ran the store, the gas station, the C store, the cigarette store. 
And they built a longhouse. Yeah, that's what they built. They built a longhouse. But they couldn't call it a longhouse. Why? Because the same group in Onondaga, Joe Heath and Company, I saw the letter from Joe Heath to the to the to Joe Callahan, who was the the lawyer representing the group running the store, right? Who built the longhouse. I saw the letter from Joe Heath to Joe Callahan, and it said, uh, you can't call it a longhouse. Uh Sid Hill, the Tadadaho says he wouldn't sanction it as a, as a longhouse. So they had to call it a school. So you know what? That's what they all called it. They called it a schoolhouse. Look, it's a long rectangular building with the doors on either end. It's got two wood stoves in it. It's got benches. Long. It's a freaking longhouse. Now, <laughs> it was built by white guys, which uh, may or may not be a problem for some, but it, it it's a longhouse. But they couldn't call it that because on a daga, not even on a daga, Sid Hill, who, by the way, in case you're wondering who Sid Hill is, he's not, he's on one hand, he's considered the Taradaho or Aradaho, depending on how you want to say it. On the other hand, he is the federally recognized leader of Onondaga. Yeah, the Bureau of Indian Affairs recognizes Sid Hill as the chief of Onondaga. Now, if you don't think that's a problem, then you don't understand what the Taradaho title is. It's not an Onondaga title. So Sid Hill, sitting on as the Grand Chief of Onondaga, is not an Onondaga chief. The Taladaho title is the 50th title of the, of the 49. There's 49 families with 49 titles, and then there's one title that does not have a clan, that is not necessarily uh, tied to a nation. It is a very specific title that is a confederacy title. There is no reason in the world that the Bureau of Indian Affairs has Sid Hill living in Onondaga as the, as, the, as the head chief of Onondaga. But that's what federal recognition is, folks. And so when the federally recognized chief of Onondaga tells his lawyer, Joe Heath, to tell the Cayuga lawyer, the lawyer for the Cayugas, uh, you can't call it a longhouse. Guess what? They don't call it a longhouse. However... Once it got bulldozed, oh yeah, let's call it a longhouse. Why? Because that gets an emotional response out of everybody. And that's what most of the people are out there today for. The people showed, and look, I saw, here's the crazy part. All that unity I talked about in Tandanega and in, in, in Oswego and, and all these other places that are doing blockades for, in support of the Wet'suwet'en uh, uh, what's people, a bunch of those wanted to leave. They wanted to leave the noble work that they were doing to come down here because they wanted to come down and kick ass and take names in Cayuga to that bad Clint Halftown, that longhouse bulldozer guy, and they were going to fix him. So they all came down here mad as hell. And why did they come down? Well, again, the Confederacy chiefs were calling people to show up, and people did show up. <laughs> I don't know how many. There might have been 100, maybe 200. A lot of white people, like I said, a lot of white people. But there were Mohawks, there were Onondagas, I don't know if there were any Oneidas, but there were, there were Senecas and Cugas, and there were, you know, there, Tuscarawas, there were people from all over that came. And, you know, some were, came as chiefs with Gostoas and everything else, and they were there to raise hell with Clint's people. But most of Clint's people weren't there. I don't know how many people Clint has. But I tell you who he does have. He's got the Cayuga Nation police. His, his police force of, of former cops, 
you know, from state police to, to county to local. He's got all of the military. He's got all these guys hired, all these white guys hired to be his personal police force. They were there and they bore the brunt of this, uh, you know, of this protest. And, and they're not victims either here, here either. These guys are, are part of the problem. They came in aggressively, you know, spraying people in the face with pepper spray, beating them with batons, you know, uh, uh, knocking people down to the ground, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it, it was it was ugly, folks. If you don't believe me, look on Facebook. You can see it for yourself. But let's be clear. This demonstration, this protest, this uh, this angry mob was called there without a specific objective. Without, without saying, look, we need to go there to protect somebody. No, they didn't go there to protect. They went there to raise hell, and they did. And there's a part of me that says, I don't blame them. I'm pissed about the bulldozing too. So they go there and they raise hell with, with the Cuban Nation cops while, while all the other police forces, whether you want to call them the real cops or not, the other police forces all just laid back. Now, they came in later after, after the bulk of all the violence was over. And everybody watches this stuff and everybody's mad as hell. And friends of mine are saying, damn it, we need to send people down there to protect. Protect what? The buildings are demolished for crying out loud. And nobody's, Clint hasn't sent bulldozers into homes. They haven't bulldozed the homes of women and children. Not, Not yet anyway. He's too busy in Vegas doing whatever he's doing there. Look, it is ugly. It's why I don't like even talking about Cayuga. It is, I mean, it'd be different if after Oneida, we all learned something. But even the so-called Grand Council, which I think is actually going to happen tomorrow now. I don't even know if it happened today. It, it may not have happened because of, you know, this debacle that, that occurred, you know, after the so-called protest. But you know who probably isn't going to be at Grand Council? The nine Oneida chiefs. The ones that Onondaga already shut the door on when they when they propped up Ray Halberter. And then even when they tried to pull Ray Halberter, do you think Onondaga would have said, wait a second, we never meant to put him up there as the leader of the Oneidas because we recognize the nine condole chiefs of the United Nations. Now, they're not nine anymore. They're not nine condole chiefs anyway. They're, since then, this is going back 30 years. Some have passed away and that kind of stuff. And frankly, some of that, um, the problem that Onondaga, Onondaga caused not only affected Oneida New York, it affected Oneida Settlement in Ontario. And now there's divisions all there's divisions all over the place. And Onondaga's responsible for it. And that's what that's what they're doing here with Cayuga. Because Cayuga also has this this whole uh issue with the fact that there are some chiefs that are condoled and recognized from Grand River, from from Oswego. Then there's the guys like Sam George and Carl Hill and Chuck Jacobs that I mean, I don't even I don't even know how to describe what these guys are, and and you know what? Before Joe Heath was calling them the Haudenosaunee Cuga chiefs, he was calling them just a unity council. That's what he claimed to be representing a unity council, and that included a bunch of uh, you know folks from from different clans who uh, you know of different diverse backgrounds, Mormons, Christians, something you wouldn't really see on a so-called traditional council, but that's what you had there. It is a freaking mess. And I got to tell you, the, the, the people that I'm most frustrated with are the are, are Clint's group, including his mother and his aunts and, and some of his family, for not doing the right thing. And 
and the role that Joe Heath and the Onondagas and this council of chiefs that he's promoting. Shame on all of you. Because the mess that you've created and the failure for any of you to reach out to the several hundred Cayugas to say, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want a traditional council? Do you want to do you want to govern you know by clans? Or do you want to hold elections? And I'm not advocating an elective system. But I got to tell you, as I sit here with as much faith as I have that we need to return to Guyana or Goa, we need to utilize the clan system. I can't find it any place. I can't find one community that's doing it right. As much as folks like me and, and, and others will, will advocate that this is what we need and this is what we should do, I don't, see it. I don't see people doing it. Why? Because nobody wants to invest the time. And it's too easy to just say the words and then not, not fulfill them. Look, it's, it's great to get a tattoo of your clan or maybe a bumper sticker or a window sticker or customized license plate frames that list your clan. But if you don't know which of the 49 families that you're a part of and you can't identify what that means and, and what that title is, if you don't know any of that stuff, then you're a far cry from being traditional. You're just dabbling. Look, we've got to do better. And like I said, as I sit here welling with pride over what we've done to push back against Canada and pipelines and, you know, extractive industries. I hang my head in shame. And, and look, shame on me too. I, I didn't want to tell the story. And, and it pains me to talk about it now. I mean, this morning I said, geez, now I got to talk about it. And the last show I did, I said, look, I don't want to have to bring somebody from each faction of the Cayugas in here to have six shows on this side. I don't want to do it. I'd rather talk about the issues that, that the things that we're doing right, not what we're doing wrong. And Cayuga is what we're all doing wrong. And, and shame on me too, because you know what? I lived through the Oneida mess. And as much as I've talked about it over the years, I haven't worked hard enough to fix it. And it's not, I'm not saying that I can, but I haven't worked hard enough to, to keep people. I mean, here's what you have in Oneida. You've got the vast majority of Oneidas they get they get paychecks they they get they get checks that, um given to them from the Oneida Nation of New York <laughs> not my family mind you <laughs> not my kids <laughs> none of the none of the Oneidas that I'm related to do so if you think that no, then think again but the vast majority of Oneidas they get they get a distribution from the, uh, from Ray Halbritter. and you know what that does keeps them quiet it keeps them quiet and it doesn't it, it keeps them from upsetting the apple cart because that money adds up and they get some other little benefits from it but mostly it's money so it buys their silence you know what Clint does he sends checks out too and in all likelihood the majority of Cayugas probably would would just sit back and get a check sent to them they're not going to move out to Seneca Falls the vast majority they're going to live in Cataraugus they're going to live in Tuscarora they're going to live in Tonawanda Hell, even some of the ones who have benefited most from the movie, you know, Carl, Carl Hill, he's got a quarter of a million dollar house he's living in in Waterloo. Sam George, same thing, another, you know, $200,000 house he's living in. 
You know, other people who've come and gone, Justin Bennett, Kimball Bighorn, these people all moved on. They're not going to be back there. And the people who wanted to be there, they're being pushed out. And they're being pushed out by the Chiefs, and they're being pushed out by Clint Halftown's group. But like I said, the vast majority of Cougars, they get a check in the mail every quarter or whatever. I don't know how often they get it. Maybe it's every month. Maybe it's only once a year. But it's enough to be... It may, be, it may be helpful to them. But it's also very helpful in keeping them quiet. Rather than sending a bunch of men to go out to Cuyuga to, to find somebody to defend, <laughs> maybe what the rest of us need to do is listen to some Cuyugas. Not the ones on the front lines of this battle. Not the ones who hope to benefit most. But the ones in every one of our communities. Maybe we need to ask them. What do you want? What would you like to see? Would you like to see Guyana Lagoa? Would you like to see a traditional system? Or do you just want to vote once a year, once every two years? And I'm not advocating the latter. But when I look at the Cayuga population, I don't see, you know, a bunch of devoted longhouse people. I see Mormons. I see other Christian denominations. I see people that are diverse and that, that are tied into a whole bunch of other things. And I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying it is what it is. Does, does, is Clint Halftown the legitimate leader of the Cuga Nation? No, I don't think so. But you know what? If the vast majority of Cugas would just assume support him, who are the rest of us to judge it? And you know what? If you don't, then maybe the solution is trying to come up with a, with, you know, with a distinct longhouse community. I, I don't know. There's got to there's got to be a way to to, to this. It shouldn't be a winner take all thing, you know that that the Chiefs have to win or Clint has to win. In the meantime, everybody else loses. No, it shouldn't be that. And shame on anybody, Joe Heath in particular, for for trying to uh, make it that kind of battle, or Clint Halftown and his mother or whoever. Look, when, when the Cugas first got some land back, there were a bunch of us who were, who were really, really hopeful. And we saw some of the good work they were doing. We saw the farm projects. We saw the land acquisition. We saw the success of their businesses. And then it starts to unravel. And uh, ironically, some of it starts to unravel the second they start getting involved in federal funding, HUD dollars, and have to account for it. And then some of the stuff doesn't just add up pro quite properly. When they start self-auditing and they start saying, wait, 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 where, where'd this money go? That's when it started to unravel. And why do I know that? Because I was there. I was invited in. I heard some of the, uh, the, the division that was happening right from the very beginning. So no, for any of you who say, well, I show up there one day and I think I know it all, no. I've been involved in, in seeing Onondaga Metal in Oneida. I've been involved in seeing Onondaga Metal in Cayuga. I've seen the metal in Tuscarora. I've seen the metal all over the place. Going right back to, to, you know, the battle over Joe Anderson. And I'm not taking a side there. I'm just saying. And in the meantime, I see Oren Lyons going to the National Congress of the American Indian and telling, telling Native people to vote in, in the outside elections. I mean, this is the stuff that, it just drives me nuts. Man, I'd just rather talk about blockades. I'd rather talk about standing up to pipelines. The last thing that I want to do is a show week in and week out about the dysfunction of any community, let alone several communities. 
I don't talk about Oneida because Oneida is just a it's it's a terrible story. It's a sad story. My my wife and children are Oneida. They have nothing to do with with Turning Stone and Ray Halbert. You know, and 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 part of it is me. Part of it's my fault. My, my kids didn't do anything wrong. But I've taken a strong stance. And and I don't want to talk about Cayuga because it is a freaking mess. And this isn't just the, the solution to Cayuga isn't sending a bunch of warriors down there. So I'm sorry. I you know, no, I'm not really sorry, but you know, to to my friends who think the solution is send a bunch of men down there, I'll tell you, over the last couple of years, there have been plenty of people who come down. There are plenty of Mohawks came down. You know what they did? They got on payroll and they collected a check to do security. Now, I don't know what the hell they were securing and who they were securing it for, because I guarantee when when Clint Halftown's paramilitary police force, his, his mercenaries that he hired to come in. I'm not talking about the Cuban Asian police. I'm talking about the, the first-line responders, that the, the more aggressive, militarized ones he brought in. <laughs> they made short work of the handful of security folks that were there. And I'm not condemning any of the Mohawks came down, but what were you going to do? You, you were going to stand up to that? And if you're going to send warriors down now, what are you going to do? You're going to f- fight the Cuban Asian cops? So what? You're going to fight the, the state police and the county sheriffs and all that other stuff? You you want to fight Clint? You better take a train to uh, take a plane to Vegas. That's where he's at. He's not out here. But you know what? At some point, we have to have enough of these conversations. Not here on the radio show, on my radio show, not in the media, not on Facebook. But we should find out what people want. And you know what? If we really care about the Hugas, we try to help them. Not take a side, but help them agree to a process that will resolve the leadership issue, that will resolve the business issues, that will resolve perhaps a gaming issue if that's where they're, where they're going. One of the things that gets touted all the time is, well, Clint Halftown wants to put land in the federal trust. You know, that's a terrible idea, and I'll be the first to say that. I mean, it is stupid to take native land and then give it to the federal government and say, here, you hold it for us. That's what, that's what trust land is. And you know, it's a terrible idea. But you know what? I don't even think that that's what this battle's over. This battle is over money. We can fight the land issues. And you know, we can all fight Clint Halfton trying to put land into federal trust. But you don't have to just be Cugo. We all have a say in that. There's comment peers. There's public commentary. But you know, let's have that conversation. Because I guarantee the Seneca Nation would never take the land that they hold an absolute title and then give it to the federal government. And, and you know what? The, the Cayugas, they're reacquiring. They're paying white people to leave land so they can have it back, have control of it back. They don't need to put it into trust. They need to assert original and absolute title on their lands. Why? Because it is theirs. They're paying the white people to leave. They aren't, they aren't buying the land back. They're reclaiming the land by, pushing, by, by paying the white people to leave. That's what they're doing. That's what, that's a line from Sugar Montour. That's what they're doing. But they don't, they need to assert original title, not trust title to that land. And look, if that's going to be the fight, I'll step up to that fight and I'll, I'll oppose, I'll oppose Clint or anybody else that wants to do that. But you know what? There's folks, there's folks in Aquasasne that are trying to do that too. So before you send a bunch of Mohawk warriors down to Cayuga to fight about land trust, maybe you need to fight it in, in, uh, fight it in Aquasasne. 
Maybe you need to fight it in Oneida. Because it's happening there too, folks. And I don't know what, if Onondaga ever has any success in, uh, in, in their land claims, what are they going to do? Are they going to do trust land too? <laughs> Is Sid Hill the BIA recognized leader of the Onondaga nation? Not. Is he going to take trust land? That, that, he, that the Bureau of Indian Affairs will recognize him as having the authority over? Because they right now recognize that he has the authority over Onondaga. And if you don't believe me, look it up. Ask. Call up the Bureau of Indian Affairs and say, who is the leader? Who has the authority in, uh, in the Onondaga Nation? And you know what the, the Interior Department is going to tell you? Sid Hill. And they're going to tell you Clint Halftown in, uh, in Cuyahoga. They're going to tell you Ray Halberter in Oneida. They're going to say Leo Henry in Tuscarora. And they're going to tell you um, Eric Thompson, uh, Mike Connors, and... Um, uh, um, Jeez, I, I just drew a blank. <laughs> uh, one other, one other the, the three chiefs, elected chiefs in Akwesasne. That's who they're going to say. I know somebody's going to type type this on Facebook and give me the right answer, but sorry, I, I drew a blank. But that's, man, we've got to get away from that. Now, does the federal government need to recognize us as distinct people? Yes but not as tribes, bands, or nation of Indians subordinate to them. And if we accept that, if we fight for that, that title, then shame on us. And you know what? Shame on Joe Heath or any of the Onondagas for involving anybody, especially another nation, in the BIA beauty contest. Shame on you. All right, that wraps it up, folks. And man, I hope I don't have to talk about Cayuga again for a while. Maybe the next leap day. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Mm-hmm.